What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast here in the sea shed, not she shed. Somebody asked me the other day, why did you call it a she shed? It's a sea shed with my buddy, Mr. David Green. David Green, what's up, man? What's going on? We got some magic today coming out of said shed. We do have some magic out of said shed today. Uh, today today's show is phenomenal. We interviewed a guest named Cole Rudd. Rude. Let me say that again. Shoot, I messed it up. <laughs> no, leave it like that. Oh, man. It'll make the, the outro make, make more the sense. Outro, it will make the outro make more sense. All right. Well, Cole Rude is our guest today here in the Sea Shed, and he is a good friend of mine, a phenomenal real estate investor, and was it 20, 22, 23, 25, 27, 22. The kid's like 22, and he is killing it in his real estate business. So you guys are going to love that. You're going to learn about all the mindset stuff on how he does it, but all more importantly for like, I don't say more importantly, equally importantly, the tactical, like how he does it. What are the things he's doing? What does he say on the phone? How does he talk to sellers? What works? What doesn't work? Where he gets his list from? All that stuff unpacks all that today. So it's pretty awesome. Cole's 22 going on to 52. Yeah. So in today's show, we cover how to start a business, how to get out of working in the business to working on your business, basically converting everything into different steps that you can manage people. We talk about adding different streams of income to something that you're already doing well. And probably most importantly, the mindset behind how successful people operate, which as today's guest shows, they work even at a young age. Yeah. yeah, the, the, it, Such a good show. I think that's it. I think it's time to uh, start our interview that we just did here live in Maui in the sea shed with Cole. So without further ado, let's bring him in. People don't fail at real estate because they suck. They fail because there's too many ways to succeed. That's why I suggest you focus on the most important skill in all of real estate, which is finding deals. I'm Colbert Johnson, and in this podcast, I share the exact steps I've used to source 400 deals by age 24. This will allow you to do three things, control your deal flow, make unlimited income, and build your empire as an off-market operator. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. Good to have you in the shed. Thanks for having me on, man. It's good to be in person out in Maui. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how you got into the wide world of real estate investing. Actually, wait, before you do that, how old are you? I'm 22 and three quarters. <laughs> Turning 23 in May. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's a very young age. And and give us a quick before you got how in how you got into real estate. Give us a quick like understanding. What do you do? Like what's your thing right now? Like like set some like I guess I want to set the table because I want people to know like like what you have right now, what kind of what your business looks like, and then we'll go into how you got into that. So how in depth do you want yeah. me to go there? Like, uh, just give us an, a broad overview of your current business. So broad overview right now, um, we have an off market direct to seller company and uh, rent in Washington. So we have an office, two thousand square feet. Uh, sales managers, guys, a uh, whole team. And right now we're doing 90% wholesale. Okay. Um, so direct to sell or sell on those deals to other investors and then 10% flips. So we have three flips going on right now. Um, so transitioning into that slowly, um, but still primarily wholesale. Okay. And then tell us approximately like how much volume in a year do you do? Like in the last year, like what have you, what have you done? Like what kind of like, we do about six to eight transactions a month in the Seattle area. Wow. So before that we were in like four different States. That number was higher, but right now we're back down to six to eight and just comfy in uh, the That's three crazy. main counties around Seattle. Yeah. Wow. So whatever that comes out to like 70, 80 ish deals a year. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's crazy. I did like 
I think three wholesales once in a, in a five-year period. And that was, I, I was impressed with myself. <laughs> um, so let's go into how you got started. How'd you get into real estate? I mean, you're a young guy with a business yeah. that most people would be jealous of, you know, jealous of and wanting. So growing up, uh, I grew up in a real estate family. So my, my great grandma started a, a brokerage called Rude Realty, which is the, one of the first brokerages Rude? in all of Seattle. Like R-U-D-E? R-U-U-D. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, That's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Okay. R-U-D-E. I thought it was Rud. No. Nope, I've been pronouncing no, your name wrong no, for like- Rude. We've hung out a number yeah, of times. Yeah. We didn't we play just, poker together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, yeah, I am one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I called you Rud. A lot of times, I just let it slide. <laughs> just, even even when I tell people, the next time it's back to Rud. So. He pronounces yeah. a lot of words wrong. Yeah. Don't feel bad. Yeah. Rough instead of roof. Magazine instead of. I don't of produce magazine. anything wrong. Shut up. Now we accent. Exactly. All right. Uh, so she was kind of the she launched my whole family into real estate. So then my grandparents, uh, they did a lot of commercial stuff in Seattle. They owned a bunch of buildings. Things. Um, she was an agent and then my mom got in the business she became an agent um, and my brother followed her so growing up um, anytime I wanted to make money or be involved at all I was you know going with her to open houses putting signs out for the open houses mm. I was a staging she had a staging company on the side so I was moving furniture around so I was always always around um, the business in some way um, so transitioning to when I actually wanted to make, make money, uh, naturally got my real estate license yeah. at, uh, at 18, 19 when I, uh, left school after a semester. And, uh, I absolutely hated, hated, hated or being a residential real estate agent, uh, switched brokerages three times. Cause of course it was the brokerage. That was the problem. Oh, it, it was of not course, me. Of course. I showed up to every sales meeting. That was everyone else's yeah, fault. Yeah. Never, it was not my fault. Showed up to every sales meeting. <laughs> I sat on Facebook a couple hours a day, scrolled, you know, through a few posts out there, cold called my sphere, which at 18 or 19, yeah. they tell you to cold call your sphere. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> All your Call friends. It. So, yeah. so you're graduating high school soon, huh? How's that? How's that looking? <laughs> you want to buy a house? <laughs> yeah. So it was brutal. I mean, uh, it was a. Uh, I was making like a couple hundred bucks a month just doing like showings for other agents. Yeah. And then the third brokerage I moved to um, was a, an off-market company where they were doing every Tuesday night. They'd bring a bunch of investors in, and they would dry, they would show them what was going to be coming to auction that week, and they'd pretty much then they'd go to the auction. Ah. Um, that's how they're running their company. So I learned that side of the business and how they were creating their own inventory. And I'm like, that seems like something I can get behind because people don't care what my age is then. Yeah. Right? 18, 19, 20. Um, rather than in Seattle selling the million dollar house, they're like, yeah, something's going on here. Um, so that's when I learned it. And then a couple of nights later, uh, I was like, when I learned about wholesaling, me and a buddy were at uh, uh, Applebee's. It's so my origin story. Kind of half, started at half price appetizers. We, we shared half price so appetizers, good. wings. It was That's how I survived college. And we were on Instagram and this, these other two young guys in the area had posted this like $40,000 check on their Instagram. Mm. And so I was like, what are these guys doing? Uh, if they can do it, we can do it kind of thing. Uh, so the next, literally the next day he came to my, um, to my parents' house cause I was living with my parents at the time and up in there, pretty much their attic, we started cold calling. Mm. And then for the next three months before we got a deal, we were just sitting up in that room, cold calling every single day. That's, that's cool. Yeah. What, why did, I guess, why cold call? Like, why is that the first, now most people don't jump to cold calling is the yeah. first thing. Usually they're like, well, I'm going to go and drive or something like yeah that. so we did that so okay. we actually drove around like the most expensive neighborhoods of bellevue in seattle like three to six million dollar homes mm -hmm. like we're driving for dollars yeah <laughs> and because uh, I, I don't know i always want to feel like i'm doing something yeah so i had no idea what i was doing but i just was like i'm gonna put one foot in front of the other so we were at the same time driving for dollars um going to all the meetups you know i was facebook messaging 
you know, all the guys in the area, which yeah. is what you do, so asking them to go to coffee. Yep. <laughs> normal, normal process. Um, and then landed on cold calling because, I don't know, it just felt uh, we were getting the most traction on that out of anything. Yeah. That's cool. Let's pull a couple things out of your story here that we can yeah. highlight for listeners, and then we'll move on to the next piece. First thing, very impressive. You realize early on, this is not what I want. This does not match up with where my passion is and what my identity is. You didn't force that square peg through the round hole like we were talking mm-hmm. about that Rosie was doing the other day. You had, you mm-hmm. adapted. Okay. I don't like how this feels. This is not my identity. I'm moving on, which pushed you into cold calling. And I'm going to assume that was because your age group was not in a point that could help you get to the goals you wanted to get to. So calling 18, 19 year olds in your sphere, looking for people to buy or sell a house was an uphill battle, but cold calling, you're calling the people that, that can do what you want to do. And I just want to highlight this story you're about to tell us, which is incredible started because instead of saying, I guess I can't sell houses, I'm only 19 years old. What am I going to (laughs) do? You said, well, what can I do? Which led to this awesome story that everybody else, you know, can follow in that same path if they take that same approach. Yeah, backtracking a little bit on that point, uh, I think that came from I grew up uh, a basketball player. So I remember I was like in seventh grade. Uh, I came home one day. I love it, man. I came home. I come home one day. <laughs> I just got the feels. <laughs> I came uh, home one day from seventh grade from from middle school, and I was like, I want to be the best basketball player. Uh-huh. I want to play college basketball. And my parents didn't give me one of the like. Oh, yeah, you'll be fine. You're really good. It might happen. It was like, okay, you want, I'll, we'll have a trainer show up here tomorrow mm-hmm. to pick you up. Um, and they did. And the next five, six years, I sh- every single day I was working out and I got a chance to play in college. I didn't actually play in college, but mm-hmm. got a chance. Um, so that was so ingrained in me uh, to as long as I show up and put one foot in front of the other and do something every single day, something's going to come out oh, of it. Oh, man. So even though the residential stuff wasn't working for me, I knew. Uh, it was just so ingrained in me at that point that if I show up the next day, mm-hmm. try something else, eventually something is going to shake. I'm going to meet a person. Uh, I'm going to go to the right event. I'm going to, there's going to be one seller that wants to help me out. Um, and, and it happened. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the cold calling was just a, a piece there, but it was really the mindset behind that, that I think it was, it was the biggest key to not just, okay, real estate's not for me moving on. Yeah. I tell, I have a very similar story where basketball literally created the foundation of I can, yep. I, I didn't grow up believing that I could do anything. Basketball was the first thing in my life that I worked at and got better. And I could, I saw the relationship between action and working and the result that I wanted. And just like you, I got super close. I actually didn't play in college. I broke my ankle and I was getting ready to go mm. play there. I actually am glad that happened because I think that created a fuel that I used to do all the other stuff mm-hmm. that I did. But I wish everyone else could have an experience like that mm-hmm. where you just see trying to take it all out in one shot is why people get discouraged. But just this understanding that if I just keep moving that ball forward, if I keep putting myself in the right situation, that turnovers come in my way. I'm going to be the one leading the fast break. I'm going to get better. So at 22 years old, the fact that you figure that out young, I mean, credit to your parents and credit to you for. And the funny part is like, I wasn't that good for most of the time. Like my freshman year of high school, I was like on the C team, wasn't that great, but I was still like, I'm going to, every day I was working out every single day, crazy three, four or five hours a day. I wasn't going to dance. Like I wasn't doing anything besides playing basketball. Uh, Sophomore year wasn't that great. Junior year was on varsity finally wasn't that great then senior year uh mm. mvp and everything it just all clicked one year so i knew and that's kind of how my real estate journey has been too it kind of all i had a few years of struggle and then it kind of all came together well what you uh, what you did is you went 
like you went all in on something, right? Yeah. Versus like you went all in on basketball and you went all in on real estate. And it just shows what happens when somebody focuses and like says, and like we kind of laughed about earlier, you're driving for dollars in like these multi-million dollar neighborhoods that you're probably not going to buy anything. Like, but it doesn't matter. You were, you were doing something. Then you tried something else and you were doing stuff and trying to, you know, like we talk a lot about focus here on the podcast. You know, David and I will talk a ton about like how you need to like pick your bridge. But in the beginning, like, you probably don't know what your bridge is. Like a lot of people have no idea what bridge is going to get them to success Island. So by just like trying this and trying this and you were like, Oh, I didn't like the agent things. I'm going to try this thing. And oh, I didn't like to drive for definitely working. Oh, cold calling's working good. That's when you lean in and you go to that, that bridge so hard. Just like, you know, I, I tried basketball. Then I, I leaned into it and I just, I kept going for it. What you were saying, I think what that developed in me is like, I didn't really care about the how with stuff like mm-hmm. basketball. I don't know how I was going to score in a game or how it was all going to shake out. Um, so the same thing in real estate, whether it's cold calling, whatever's working, it's not worrying about the how. It's just picking a direction to go in and showing up every single day. Yeah. And the how usually, like if I look back at my life the past three years to sitting here right now, how does not make sense. <laughs> it does not make sense. So, Well, you also are hitting on a point Brandon and I have been talking about a lot, which is the pivot. Okay. You, you did everything you had, you threw it into basketball, you had a goal, you wanted to play in college. It didn't happen, but you just shifted all that momentum into real estate, which is why now you're crushing it. Yeah. 22 years old. This is incredibly impressive what you put together. That was largely because this momentum you built, your work ethic, your belief system, the habits you had were formed from basketball. They translated pretty well Mm -hmm. into business where it doesn't matter if you're not tall enough or fast enough or strong enough. I always tell people in business, your athleticism is your mind. Yeah. Your talent mm-hmm. is your is your mind. And all of us have complete control over how that works out. Like we just talked with Jim Quick yesterday mm-hmm. explaining like how to program your mind like your body. So as people are listening, I just want them to hear that's the key. You start, you build momentum. And if it doesn't go the way you wanted, you shift that momentum into something else. But you don't completely you don't wait until you know exactly what you want to do before you ever start moving. So yeah. thanks for that little segue in background. Yeah. Let's let's kind of get into where you took it after you um, cold call. Yeah. The cold calling business. Yeah. So like we were cold calling every single day for three months. And finally, our first deal didn't even come from that, though. So uh, an agent brought us this opportunity because we were, you know, I was letting people know what I was doing. And uh, it was this crazy. I've never done a deal like this. It was in Seattle and uh, uh, Sunset Hill, Ballard area, which is you don't do a ton of wholesale deals there. And uh, a deal was brought to us like 800,000 purchase price. And the one buyer we had actually met that we knew was buying that we had a good relationship with. We sold them on this like, hey man, if you build up two stories and you build a bridge over to an ADU on top of the garage, like might might be something here. And he bought it from us. And that, that first check uh, was 105 grand. No so way. First deal ever was 105 grand. Yeah. <laughs> 105 yeah. on the yeah. first deal. That's yeah. And we had, to, we had to pay a few people out, but we took home a good sure. chunk of that. And that was like uh, a listed, like an MLS no, listed no, no, property no, no, or no, what? It was off market. Okay. So yeah, the agent yeah. found it off market, brought it to you. Is that yeah. how that went? Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And, uh, so how my mind works is I kind of, uh, I, I, my mind immediately went to, I don't know why I went to crap. Yeah. I have the check, but what if I don't do another deal? Mm, yeah. So, yeah. so right away I was like, how can I turn this thing into a repeatable model where we can keep doing deals? Um, so we in other words, how do you make, how do you make a business out of this versus like, I got a check. Exactly. Which is I, like, and, I, and I don't know why my huge mind mental change there. My mind went right to there. Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, so we didn't spend any of that money. Like none of it. I didn't get <laughs> car at the time, clothes, nothing. Stayed at my parents' house, and uh, we next day we were cold calling again. And then it was actually another three months until we got the next deal from cold calling. Um, or it was our first wow. cold calling deal. So six months of cold calling before we got actual cold call deal. And then from there, hired another, uh, got another person to cold call, another person to cold call. When I was nineteen. After we were three deals in, uh, we signed a, a three-year personally guaranteed lease on an office in, uh, oh. and rent in just 
went all in. Yeah, went all and in. And then we had to figure it out at that point because we had we had uh, some overhead. And so we started filling that office with uh, just buddies that wanted to try out real estate and do sales. And we had like seven or eight guys in there eventually. We're doing random markets. We're doing deals in Spokane, St. Louis, Fresno, California, Sacramento, California, all over Washington. Weren't making a ton of money at the time because we, were, sure. we weren't tracking anything. It was, it was you were getting You weren't getting $105,000 hotel fees every other day? We get No, 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 no. <laughs> Most of them were 20, 25. We'd get up yeah. 60 here and there. But okay. uh, with eight people in an office it was just it was chaos i learned so yeah. much that, that this first year after that but it was absolute chaos you mind if i jump this and take it a different direction than we normally do yeah. we, we always cover the big picture stuff like yeah. how you did it which we want to keep doing yeah. i want to dive in for a second and have you talk a little bit about how you developed your cold call skills yeah i'm sh- it's not just a matter of i make 100 phone calls i'm gonna get x mm. amount right it sh- it averages into that but it's just like if I shoot 100 shots, if you suck at shooting, you're not making yeah. as many, right? Like yeah. part of success is getting better at shooting because you shoot so much. So for people that want a cold call, what advice can you give that you learn about how to do it better, how to build rapport, how to recognize a motivation, that type of stuff? Yeah, I think the tactical stuff with rapport and motivation is huge. But I think the before you get into that, it's sticking with it yeah. for a long enough time for it to to pan out to mm-hmm. get good at it because yeah. no matter how good you yeah, are get good at rapport it. no matter if you have the best script best rapport best everything if you only do it for two months and you're like oh i'm gonna go to the next shiny cool marketing thing that i heard on a podcast yep. uh it's not gonna work uh, so first and foremost stick with it like we train our cold callers when they get on the phone with someone when i was cold calling to really do the best they can to adapt to that culture and find out what the real reason those people are selling is because um, a lot of cold call centers and people who are cold calling to start, they don't care about the other person on the other end of the phone. It's just, that's a check, it's a dollar sign, not a person. Um, so they skip over a lot of deals that are there. Most people aren't gonna come out and say, hey, uh, you know, my dad passed away, I just inherited the house, or um, whatever the situation may be. So really, not being in a rush to uh, just get a quick number and move on, we really take the time to get to know, every. We try to get to know every single person. It's harder at scale, uh, but especially starting out, we really wanted to get to know every single person we were talking to mm-hmm. without you know, spending 30 minutes and wasting all of our time. Yeah. So what have you found has worked? I want to, I want to dive into cold calling a little bit. Like, yeah. What, what works, what doesn't work? Like, how has it changed like, like over the last couple of years or has it? Um, cause I, yeah, like, like David said, it's not just a numbers game. You make a hundred phone calls, you're going to get it. There's things that you're doing right now that are better. So first, why don't we start with the, who are you calling? Let, let's start there. Yeah. So, uh, right now, I'll, I'll kind of put that in two answers sure. because versus like where we are now versus yeah 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 uh, yeah. So right now we call pretty much everyone. Okay. That um, and obviously pick up the phone book and just start dialing. <laughs> pretty, no, pretty pretty much. Yeah, we buy the whole county. Okay. And, and we uh, we call pretty much everyone. And you look for people like who have equity. You buy a list of like equity, or do you right now for how many leads we need right now? We yeah. don't. Okay. Um, you just call. When, yeah, like, we just call. Yeah. But when we're getting started, absolutely, we go we niche down into okay. you know absentee list and equity and you know higher equity, longer ownership, um, and. Uh, all that kind of stuff. But the, I think the biggest thing with cold calling is uh, it's a separate business than your real estate business. Yeah. Like whether you're doing it yourself or you're having someone do it for you, it's a whole nother business. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to track KPIs on that business. You have to look under the hood all the time, making sure people are performing, that they're being managed. Otherwise you're gonna be throwing money in a garbage can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So people look at it as just, oh no, that's just my marketing. But no, it's really, it's a marketing business, especially if you're wholesaling or flipping, going direct to seller. Your marketing side of your business is a business. Yeah, and your acquisitions, yeah. dispositions, your acquisitions is a business, it's a sales team. Mm-hmm. And your dispositions is a business in itself with networking and building a buyer's list, so. You know, that's such a good point 
to highlight when uh, when Brandon and I give webinars for bigger pockets, we have to talk about the laps funnel, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, four steps to getting something in contract. You've got leads, then you analyze them, then you pursue them, then you find success. Those first three steps, the L, the A and the P actually involve completely different skill sets, completely different resources. You should look at each of those like they're a different business. How do I generate leads? Who analyzes them and how do they do it? And then what's our our uh, position when we're pursuing it. Mm -hmm. When someone looks at this like it's a job and they treat everything the same, they typically aren't going to be nearly as successful. I really like that you're highlighting. You really want to take this whole process, pick out the parts either that you're the best at that you want to learn or that you're the worst at that you want to leverage off. Find other people that are better at doing those things and view it from that Mm -hmm. perspective. Is that similar to what you found as you're running your company? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, The biggest growth for us came when we when we really sectioned off every piece of our company mm-hmm. and put a really good leader in charge of mm-hmm. every single thing. Yeah. Um, and I, it was hard to let go of that because I naturally I feel like I can do everything better than everyone else. So yeah. if it was up to me, I'd still be cold calling and yep. selling stuff and selling it to our buyers. And uh, so putting like we have a we have a manager of our cold callers who's really really we give him we trust the guy we love him, um, and he, that's his section of the company. And yeah, we, from from a bird's eye view, I'm always looking at numbers on that section. But besides that, I don't get involved too much as long as we're meeting our numbers sales team we have a, a sales manager who's my partner in the business uh, mike and that's his thing it's like his baby that section of the company and then i'm on the the dispositions um system side um that when, when we got when we were scrambled and everyone's kind of doing everything it was, mm-hmm. it was chaos weren't making money but when i stepped out i said okay how can i make everything kind of just funnel up to me at a bird's eye overview but we have someone who cares about the business in charge of every little piece that's when we really took off Brandon, I'm curious, did you have a similar experience with Open Door Capital, splitting things up like that? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, I feel like that's everything that you just explained in the last five minutes. I want people to rewind this because that like that last five minutes might be the most important five minutes of any podcast we've ever done. And what I mean by that is like for people who want to scale like that, that is the key to scaling is like you run your business like a business. You have your KPIs, you know what each person's doing. And even if it's at the beginning, it could be all you think like. Like this is my, now I'm an acquisitions person. Now I'm on disposition. Like yeah. think of business. And then you can put people in there as you need to. And the great thing about real estate, especially things like wholesaling and flipping is that you make money back pretty quickly so that you can afford to hire people to this. Cause like the business generates the money for these people. So in other words, like you became a, a leader, like a word that I use a lot. And we talked about this with my coach, Jason Drees, when he was on the podcast back a few months ago, it's like, I had to use the word general in my head. Like I'm a general in a, in a war. Like I'm not a cadet anymore. I'm not a Lieutenant. I'm not down on the battlefield most of the time, unless like they overrun the gates. They're now in like my compound. Fine. I'm going to grab a gun. I'm going to go there and shoot. Just like you, you look at the numbers at a high level. And if there was a problem with your like calls coming in, I guarantee you jump in there and start figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hard, it's a hard balance to know when to jump in and when not to. Uh-huh. I, when I see I see stuff every day that happens, I'm like, oh, I want to, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I can fix that right now. Yes. Uh, when when we interviewed Jocko on the podcast and in his book, Extreme Ownership, he talked about this lesson he learned where he was on a team of operators that were, and they were infiltrating like a boat or something. Mm-hmm. And they were all looking down the scopes of their guns, looking for threats, which is what every one of us does when we're scared. We, we focus on what can hurt us. It makes sense. It's a survival Television. technique, right? Yes, 100%. So they all get off the boat. They're all looking down their scopes. They're looking for the enemy. It was a training exercise. 
And he realized that no one knew how to direct any of the people where to go. Because when you're just looking for a threat, you don't understand the big picture or how to maneuver yourself to be in a better position to even address that threat. And he took his eyes off of the scope. He took a couple steps backwards. So now he can see all the troops that are on the field. They're looking for the threats. He's trusting them. And he recognized, oh, we're going the wrong way. We need half of you to go this way, half. And he makes the call. Everyone moves into it. And it was a turning point in his life where he understood when you are doing the job, you can't do what he recognized, which was lead the people. And what you're describing is every leader's problem is that they see somebody miss a shot and they go, oh, I better be the one to get in there and get behind the gun. Right? We can't have those misses. And then you lose having an entire platoon of people that you're moving into another position. So I think you're right. There's that art of can the business survive if we're fumbling the ball this often as people are learning? Do I have to get in there and do it? But the ultimate goal is to get yourself in the position of general, just like Brandon said, because you see how all the pieces fit. You recognize the resources. Maybe I got to take this person out of dispositions and put him in acquisitions because he'll be better there. And uh, for everyone who's going through that same struggle, it's normal. You're not bipolar. This is what all of us have to, have to go through. It's really hard, but the longer you do it and the more steps of faith you take, it does get easier. Yeah, I think a good uh, another way to summarize that is like uh, I heard it one time. It's as, as you get spread more and more thin, would you rather have you at 40, 50, 60, 70 percent doing a task or because you're so spread thin versus yeah. someone at 80 percent? They might not be able to do it as good as you. If that's the only thing you're doing. Yeah. Um, but they're going to do it. I think I actually heard that at the, the mastermind for the first oh, really? time someone said that. And that finally clicked because I was not doing any of this stuff then. I was like doing everything. That's the first time I clicked. And then we did the Vivid Vision. I kind of saw my business from a bird's eye overview for the first time. And then it rolls into a whole nother like that journey to be able to actually do that. It's a whole nother, another piece. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What, what, uh, what Cole's talking about here is we did a, um, mastermind thing. Uh, we called it the Maui mastermind. Yeah. Tarl and I led it about a year and a half ago now. Yeah. Like everybody in that group is still like close with each other and friends. It was, it was a great, crazy uh, good time. I've done a deal with, or done a business transaction with like probably 80% of the people <laughs> from that. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah so it's just a good indication. I don't want to dive into that too deep here, but just like, if you're not getting together, people are not getting together with people in their, in their, uh, world, you know, like in, in the real estate world, in your, whether it's in your area or whether you go to a, go somewhere, go to a conference. And I know things have been difficult for the last year here, but just as you know, we get back in the world again, just remember there's such value in that networking and connecting deeply mm -hmm. with people. Um, it was just phenomenal. So anyway, all right. So I want to go back to cold calling a little bit more here. Let's talk when you're calling somebody, what do you say? Like, what's, what's the first, like you got the list. Let's say you, you're going to call, let's say they're just starting out, right? Yep. Let's go, let's go there. Somebody's listening to this podcast right now. They've never done podcasts. They've never done cold calling. What should they, what list should they target? Or what would you recommend their first steps for cold calling? Yeah. So if I was just today going to, yeah, if I was right now starting in real estate and I was going to wanted a deal in the next couple of months from cold calling. I would buy um, a higher, higher equity absentee list for an area. Explain what that is. So an absentee, like most companies, you go online to list source or Adam data. Most companies online, they'll give you an absentee filter, which is someone that uh, their mailing address is different than the property address. So yeah. fairly simple. Um, and then you want to, they all have criteria. So you want to, you know, stack uh, equity on top of that. So you don't want to be marking people with 10, 20, 30% equity. You, you might if you really get seller financing and stuff, but um, just starting out, wouldn't recommend it. So get a 40 to plus equity list okay. and you get a skip trace and you get phone numbers back. You want to keep it simple at first, especially as you're learning the business. You don't want to have too high level of conversations the first couple of calls because they're going to come out off of that and think you don't know a ton of stuff. So keep it as simple as you can and uh, leverage other people and real estate agents if questions come up through the process. But the first call should pretty much be, hey, Mr. Seller. I always tell people if they're just starting themselves, reference another 
say, hey, I work for a local company. Uh, so you don't come off of a, hey, I'm a CEO of a real yeah, estate company. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, this is cool. I work for a local real estate investment company. You know, we just sold, we, we buy and sell properties in this area all the time. We have some money set aside for another one this month. Are you open to talking more about yeah. uh, script. selling that, uh, that your property of blah, blah, blah street? And that, that does two things. It, it's a soft opening and it confirms the information that, yeah, they are John Smith and they do own 123 Main Street and yeah. um, Maui. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's really like it, I think people probably overcomplicate this a lot. Where, yeah, they're, they're just thinking like, oh, I don't, I need my exact script. I need to know exactly what words to say in the right order. And like, yeah. yes, you should, you should have a list of things you're trying to get across, right? Yeah. But how important do you think, like? It be genuine. I think it's such an important thing because mm-hmm. I've been cold called many times before, yeah. and it like I can tell some people are like reading off a script or it, you know, it's just completely impersonal. And other people are just like, "Hey, you know, like I got one the other day from a KW, like Keller Williams agency. They want to like, hey, uh, is this Brandon? I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm like, yeah, hey, this is a uh, you know whatever. I work with Keller Williams down here in Kihei. Uh, we just sold the house like two blocks from yours. Uh, got a really good price for it. Just curious if you wanted to sell it all, if you had any interest. And I was like. Eh, no, I really like my house right now, but thanks for calling. I was like, I was like, this was such a nice, genuine yep. person. And they probably had a script of some kind, but like she was a normal person in a normal conversation. Sure. Yeah, I think so much of it is how you position yourself in reference to the seller. So if you come in as super like, oh, I got to make 10 more cold calls mm-hmm. today because I heard on the podcast, I'll make 100 this week. I might get a lead that might turn into yeah. a deal versus sitting down and wanting to have conversations with people. And like what we're talking about, um, making it complicated. I think it's it's hard not to do that when you get started out because part of your brain does not want a cold call when yeah. you're getting started out. So you find ways to, oh, this, I got to follow the script. It's so hard to follow or they're going to say no or every no one's answering yeah. um, so those little things i think are huge to really sit down take the time care about who you're talking to and uh yeah use a script like the kind of what i just went through use something yep. like that but you don't have to go 100 percent off it every time yeah conversations are going to go where they where they go yeah i didn't do a, a ton of cold calling ever because i you know i'm not a big fan of the phone uh but i would like t- i would send out direct mail and i would take mm-hmm. the phone calls right mm-hmm. And when I did, I had a, I had a list, like I had a piece of paper. I kept with me everywhere I went when I was doing this more heavily. Everyone got have this piece of paper, a bunch of them in a stack. And it was just like all the questions I need to make sure I got, but it wasn't like a like script, like, hello, thank you so much for calling me today. It was just like, uh, like how long have you owned the property line? Yeah. And I would just like pull out this piece of paper and I would just like, Oh, the next one, I gotta make sure I get that question. Mm-hmm. When did you buy this property? And then I just find a way to like make it natural in that conversation. So I had a script but it wasn't a script. Like I had a list, but it wasn't a script. Yep. So that worked. That seemed to work for me. I wouldn't call it a script, a guideline. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Um, a framework, maybe a framework of yeah. how to guide a conversation is what yeah. you're looking for. You're not looking for uh, you know, word for word thing. Yeah. Otherwise it gets robotic. And would you agree if somebody's new and they're just nervous as heck that mm-hmm. actually having words they can read is a sure. good way to break into it until you get a little more yeah. comfortable? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that and understanding that it's not going to, it's going to suck the first few times you do it. So, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so many people are like, uh, uh-huh. dang it, that was not what I, what I thought it was, but like with anything, um, uh, like the first time I surfed and like yeah. last time I was in Maui is like, suck at <laughs> that's it. what I yeah. tell people. And then you look around people are uh-huh. like, everyone's laughing at me. I suck. I'm on the big surfboard cause I'm not good enough to <laughs> drive a little surfboard. And like everyone goes through the same thing. The first time I cold called, I like couldn't speak English. Like oh, same, th- same, same thing. First time I spoke like on uh, a podcast or I couldn't, couldn't mm-hmm. talk. So it's the same thing. It's gradually and improving. And, uh, 
giving yourself the freedom to that's i think what the secret is if you walk in with low expectations like i use a snowboarding analogy i don't know a human being that ever snowboarded and crushed it the minute they they got on a board (laughs) it doesn't happen they don't want to go back the next time after the first time yeah Yeah, Yeah. that was me it was miserable but what the reason i eventually learned how to do it so so was because i didn't want to waste that first experience of misery and say i got nothing out of it it was so bad i was going to make sure i learned but if you go in thinking i'm supposed to be good at it and then when you're not you'll think this isn't for me as opposed to well everyone sucks at this it's impossible to be good at doing this without some some practice you have to get that feedback oh that worked that didn't work when i changed my tone i got more engagement brandon do you mind if i read your quote that you have behind you i think this is so good for the people going back here yes sure for those that are that struggle with that feeling of like i don't want to be laughed at because i was on the big surfboard Mm -hmm. when you compare yourself to the surfers it is embarrassing that you're on the big surfboard what about when you compare yourself to the 99 percent of people that are on the beach watching Mm -hmm. and they're never even got in the ocean right so this quote was it teddy roosevelt yeah i believe the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. It's such a beautiful quote. I love that you put it up here. I love thinking that all the time because it highlights the big losses that you never tried. It wasn't that you tried and fell off the surfboard or that you didn't get on the good surfboard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people getting started in uh, real estate, other forms of entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. they feel like there's no margin for error. We're like, I think the reason I've scaled and accelerated so quickly because I realized there's infinite margin of error. Like I can make as many mistakes as I want. And what's the consequences? I just get to try. There's no one really keeping score. Mm -hmm. Like what's the, what's the other word? It's a, it's like a spotlight effect. You think everyone's thinking about you all the time, but everyone's thinking about themselves. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. (laughs) It's like no no one cares. Acknowledging human narcissism is the best thing you can ever do for your business (laughs) because they all care about themselves so much more than you. So that was the biggest thing for me is real and sports help with that. Realizing that, there's infinite upside and it doesn't matter how long it takes me to get there. I can fall and stumble all I want. Okay. Yeah, cool. So this is awesome. So now you've got this company where you've got, you know, phone calls and then acquisitions and then dispositions. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's hear a little bit how you've scaled that to what it is mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So it was really, uh, I had a, a lot of, uh, advice from people who had been in the business a long time. I didn't listen to any of it. <laughs> they, they, were, they were all like, uh, you know, that, you know, more checks is not always better, you know, slow down a little bit. I was like, no, I'm going to keep hiring. We're going to go to every market in the world. We're going to wholesale from Washington to Australia and, uh, brought a, we had 10, 12 guys in the office and crazy overhead. We were spending like 40 to 60 grand a month in marketing at one point, um, across cold calling and mail and everything. And, uh, we got to the point where I had a bad burnout a year and a half ago. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I realized like, I should just go, if I'm going to do all this work to bring home and bring it home, I might as well just go get a job. And I, at that point I clicked. I'm like, this is what everyone's been telling mm-hmm. me. I, I just went to a mastermind and I was told this stuff and it's happening. And, uh, so from there I'm like, okay, we're going to redo this. We're going to, we're going to keep our fundamentals and our foundation, but build it up the right way. Uh, cause I always like the quote, I forget who it is. It was talking about, you can't build anything good on an unstable foundation. So mm-hmm. our foundation, we I had to go back down to the ground yep. patch holes pretty much before I built back up. And that looked like uh, pretty much clearing house. So we got down to, um, 
me and uh, my new business partner, because me and my other business partner had separated. So we got back down to two people and we were still doing deals and making it happen. And then the right way, putting KPIs in place, making sure that we were actually mm. taking home money at the end of the month and then somewhat enjoying what we were doing. We started putting the pieces back together um, really, really slowly and carefully. Uh, so that now what our operation looks like now is uh, we have a sales manager, we have a marketing management team, we have um, me, I still run dispositions, just I love doing it and I like having a challenge, something to wake up and do, mm-hmm. and then a transactions manager. So it's really simplified. Like what I was talking about before, we have everything segmented. Yeah, before. you got your lieutenants in place. Yes, versus before yeah. it was 12 guys in an office running, it was like a frat house, yeah. it was a real estate frat house is what it was. We literally had, we had something called Wine Wednesday where people would bring bottles of wine to them on Wednesday mornings. <laughs> And it was a mess. But through that, I learned in my, my life is like, it's like, dang, I'm glad I went through that because I know like I'm never going that direction. Again. Yeah. yeah. But that's the yeah. pivot, right? Yeah. You, you, you would never would have got to the point where you recognize I need to rebuild if you wouldn't have started building. Yeah. And I, it's very similar for me. 2020 was that year for me where I had to go back and I had to say, okay, the way I'm doing this is not going to get me where I want. It will get me forward, but not at the pace or the life that I want to have. Can you share a little bit about what that experience was like? Cause it takes some faith when you step oh, yeah. away from knowing I can take the shot to, I got to trust other people to you're probably making less money when you stop pushing forward and go back to rebuild it so that you can make more money later. And that's always scary because you don't know if it's going to work. I think what did it for me is I was seeing so many like my personal problems become business problems. Like the stuff I was having in my business was when I sat back and reflected, it was the same problems I was having mm. in my personal life with, you know, not trusting people, not letting anyone let go of anything or have hard, hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realized that I can fix this both places at the same time. So it really came with just absolute trust and willing to accept the consequences of that and learn from it. So before my previous partnership, we'd be micromanaging each other. Like, hey, you left the office at 3.50 today. I was here till 5.30, all that kind of stuff. Versus now it's, you, he he's responsible for he was responsible for. We talk and we, we check in with each other, but it's that absolute, almost not blind trust because we have stuff, KPIs we look at and stuff, but trust enough where I think you have my best interest, I have your best interest, and then learning from mistakes through that, that process. That's the biggest thing. Do you have a system in place for having those difficult conversations? <laughs> Uh, so we talk once a week, like we have a scheduled time for an hour. We sit down and we just, everything that's on our mind, because I think the biggest thing that's uh, hurt me in the past is business, business partnerships is we letting stuff brew underneath yes. the surface for weeks and months where like little things. <clears throat> and I was doing the same thing in my personal life with family and friends. And, um, uh, so instead of that, putting in, putting guidelines in place to, Hey, when something comes up, let's talk about it on Monday morning, mm-hmm. whatever it is so that it doesn't brew. And, mm-hmm. and I found that when I'm getting all that stuff out, I'm so much more productive too. Can I actually ask David a question here? Like David, you do something cause I, on that point, it's so good. Like not letting yourself brew and doing it. Now, David, you do something I haven't, I've never known anybody else do it. You have a performance coach every single week, meet with your real estate team. Can you just like, that's right, right? And you're like, yeah, and that's what's so impressive about, about the fact you figured this out at 22. I'm a little jealous because <laughs> at 22, I was nowhere close to being able to do any of this. But what we realize is those difficult conversations have to happen. Otherwise, resentment forms. And we were basically like being poisoned by different people on the team having resentment for different reasons. Not only do they have to happen, you have to have like a GPS check-in, right? Like you, you could be going the wrong way. And if you don't meet with everybody, that's when you're when you get signal again and your GPS says, oh, you missed that turn. You got to go back around. You can go six months the wrong direction if you don't ever have these check-ins. So we sort of combined it all together where once a week, my real estate team, my mortgage team, and my operations team, I do three of these meetings 
all get on a Zoom call with our performance coach, who's basically there. He's a psychologist to mediate that so that it doesn't get out of hand. People yeah. don't take dinner, don't get nasty. They can't take it personal. It's kind of like a relationship counselor for the business. Like if, if you and Heather go to a relationship counselor to discuss your marriage, <laughs> you're not screaming at each other and bringing up hurtful things when there's a third party right there that's going to call you out on it. And that has been tremendous. It is expensive. That's what everyone says is how yeah. could you possibly pay that much money? It's another one of those steps of faith. I know if we meet weekly, we discuss what's causing the resentment. We bring it to the surface. So it's not me versus them. It's really everybody on the team is all in agreement. We're committing to this is what we're going to do. Then it will turn into more revenue later. And I think that's part of why we've had so much growth. It's I would never, ever, ever try to run a business without that method. So it's sort of like, you know, you mentioned your business problems and your personal problems were similar. That's I was about to ask you, do you have a coach? Because they're so good with this. I have a lot of that's that's another thing that I was I wanted to talk about is how many people I've surrounded myself with that I would call mentors and coaches in some way. That's been the biggest reason that I am where I am. Like and, and a lot of the hardest thing about that, I, I didn't hire a coach at first. Like when I get, got into real estate, I didn't have a performance coach or I didn't have a business coach. But I did have people in real estate that have been around for a while that I had added enough value to where I developed into a friendship and a, and a mentorship mm-hmm. where I could pretty much take any situation and call them any time of day and say, here's what's going on. Um, and it just accelerated, accelerated me night and day. Now, um, where I'm right now, I do have a, a business coach mm-hmm. and uh, a personal coach that I have like three or four coaches that I pay just because I found every time I do that and I commit more money to myself and my growth, I never regret it. We also have amazing ideas that come out of those sessions that we wouldn't have had because when we're laying all of our issues on the table at the same time, yep. yeah. And seeing all that, and we put our put our brains together, we can plug holes faster and come. It's it's a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah. That's cool. So how many how many hours a week do you work right now? Do you say? Oh man, uh, this week in Maui. Bad <laughs> <laughs> uh, example. Probably uh, ten to twenty active, like focused hours on the computer. Okay. Or, I mean, the rest is phone calls and emails and sure. where I'm needed. Um, but like, cause I I switched to more. I read the book Deep Work. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I kind of switched that model. Where I sit down in the morning and I give myself you know, my three or five big things. For two to three hours, I lock in, try to put my phone away, sit there, knock everything out, um, and then because I was bad when I first got started working just because I felt good to work and I yeah. felt like I was in motion, but unlearning that and really sitting down getting my work done and then having, <laughs> trying to enjoy my life. And that's another big thing is what do I fill my free time with? It's been a challenge too. But yeah, so yeah. about, I would say 20 to 30 hours a week of. That's cool. And you moved and you moved right to. to yeah. Help. So September kind of mid COVID everything. I was just, I was drained. And uh, so, yeah, I, I moved to San Diego with a couple of buddies. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. But you're yeah. still, Doing all the work up in the Seattle. Seattle yes, yeah, so we're still right? at the office. I'm still up there. Yeah. amount. I try to be I try to be out there a week or two a month okay. and uh, make sure we're rolling. But it's been awesome. I've learned so much just being away from the business and seeing that's the ultimate letting go of the vine is being yeah. in a different state. And uh, so, yeah. I know, David, you're doing the same thing right now where you like you came to Hawaii for like an extended period of time. Yeah. Like you're forcing yourself to figure out how do I make this business a business and not just dependent on myself? Like what have you learned about that so far? Well, what I learned is that it my goal is to stay away until something breaks and then look and see why did that break? Um, Not to the point that the whole thing could collapse, right? But that's kind of how you figure out where you've been cheating, where you're supposed to be the general, but you're actually in the field a little Mm -hmm. bit too much. When you take yourself out of it and like, let's, you know, say that um, you've been putting more houses under contract than you probably should be. Your your acquisition manager should have stronger skills when it comes to closing. Mm -hmm. But you step in and and you just see what thing seems to you like the last 
last one little percent, couple phone calls. And then you stop having them and you guys go from like 30% of what you were doing. And you think, holy cow, like how are we missing this much? You now immediately know my acquisition manager needs either more training or more accountability or more oversight or more skills, something so that they can get up there. A lot of the time, what I found was that when my presence was there, I have somewhat of a strong presence. The agents on my team thought, oh, David will handle it. He'll take the yeah. shot. He'll he'll do it. Yeah. When I walked away, they didn't have the confidence to actually go in there and get it done. They knew what to do. They knew how to do it, but they didn't have the confidence. And I had to step away for them to face that fear. Okay, I got to be the man or the woman. I got to get in here and do this. So like Brandon, what you mentioned was really smart. When you're in a business and you want to see what needs to be improved, step away, see where the water starts coming in. That's where your leak is. Yeah, I couldn't really describe what I've been doing, but that, you Same kind of thing. describe what I've been doing in uh, a kind of an unconscious way of just, yeah, what's been breaking. I fly back up there, try to put it back. Plug together, the leak. Put it back together better or try yep. to, and then uh, fly back down to San Diego. It happens again. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to put that. Yeah. I I just can't believe you're doing this at 22 years old. I mean, have you been thinking that too, as we're listening to this guy's story? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. It comes with the, like the mentors and coaches. It's it's just, uh, I love action. Like coming from sports, I just love to be in Mm -hmm. motion action. I love to have something to do every day with like I'm moving forward. I have this thing. I always feel like I have to earn my free time and stuff. So mm-hmm. I just love pushing the ball forward in some way. If you want to be successful, like not you, anybody wants mm-hmm. to be successful in any way. Like there are a series of things that they can do that are very tangible. Yeah. And you can find that out by talking. Like you talk to these people. You talk to Tarl Yarber. You talk to Elliot Smith. You're like, what are you guys doing? Like you learn from these guys. Um, you attend mastermind meetups. You, you hang, you like, you learn and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna put that into practice. And then it works. So I say this on the show a lot. Like, you should work so that success is not a surprise, right? Like nobody with a six pack ever woke up and goes, oh, I got a six pack. What? Like, like, like nobody does that, right? Like nobody says like, I just ran a triathlon. How did I do like, like, I, you know, I, I did the Ironman or the half Ironman, right? Like last right. year, like I, like I was not surprised that I finished and like, I didn't do well. I wasn't surprised I didn't do well. I mean, I didn't do bad, but like I, I did exactly how I thought I would do because I did the level of work that would get me to exactly the level mm-hmm. of spot that I got. Um, and so like, it's not a surprise that you are where you are today at all because you're like, you, you did exactly what a person should do to be able to get in that spot. Mm-hmm. And so people are listening to this. Like it's, it's really a fairly simple thing. Go find people who are already doing what you're doing or what you, like what you want to do. Find the people who are already doing what you want to do. Ask them like, what is it you do every day? Like what, what's the key there? And then do it. And the great thing is you don't have to ask them. You can listen to podcasts like this. Like everybody listening right now, a couple hundred thousand people can literally go do exactly what you did. Cause you just shared everything that you did to get there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's more than that and they can get deeper and, and they get to know you, but like, success is not super complicated. Mm-hmm. So one more question I have kind of before, you know, we start moving towards a, the famous four. And I know David, you had one more you wanted to ask too in there, but I'm curious, like, I know you added flipping to your business. Now mm-hmm. you start with wholesaling. I'm wondering like, why did you do that? Uh, and how has that been? Like, where do you see yourself headed with that? Yeah. So we, we started flipping, um, a couple months ago, mainly because we kind of felt like we hit a plateau and wanted to challenge ourselves again. Um, we thought that would help not only create more revenue with flipping, but also help our main business because we service investors who are flipping. So yeah. to get to know that world a little better, we feel like we could package up deals way better on the front end. Um, and then a lot of it was just the challenge of learning something new, uh, building new relationships in that field um, and having a whole nother, I mean, we want to grow. Yeah. Um, so that felt like a natural thing to grow into. And I know a lot of people do it in reverse. They go flipping, oh, flipping so hard, it sucks, it's wholesale. Uh, but for us, we feel like we're connected enough. We have a good enough relationship with people where we can make it happen and do it the right way. Um, so 
big key of that was just wanting to challenge. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I, I love that you said like you're looking for a little bit more of a challenge there. I, I feel like that's such a sign of a, of a strong team is when like, not that you get like, you know, bored necessarily of the, what the business is because like business is getting really good at something, but you added another basically lane to your bridge. Like you, you built the bridge. It was working. You have people now working the bridge for you so you can relax a little bit more. You're like, how do we make this bridge stronger? How do we make this better? How do we get more cars across this bridge? So you add in a lane. You didn't go and start a, you know, like a wooden sunglasses business, no. right? But yeah. but you started to think my, my um, open door capital were this year where we've been having a lot of investors ask us this question about why aren't we getting into apartments? And we've been to ask ourselves, should we add those on? So this year we're actually going to add on apartments or add another bridge. Cause not that we're bored of mobile home parks. I love mobile home parks and we're going to still do them. Um, but I'm like, I want to add another lane to that to be stronger so we can do more deals, get more investors in, start a bigger fund. So like for the exact same reason, it's like, I love that. And I love the challenge of going into something a little bit new. So you and yeah. I are in the And we only did it like once we had our foundation really set. Yeah, exactly. That's the key, right? That's the key yeah, is yeah. not building the bridge before you have yeah. the foundation set. That's yeah. huge. Now that we have something that pays the bills and keeps it a yep. successful business now we can kind of veer off a little bit but yep. uh i'm Love glad it. we waited as long as we did for that yeah that's cool so what kind of where are you where are you flipping at Mo, ma, uh, mainly just king county okay. around seattle uh pierce county a little bit too which is a little more south but uh, we're trying to stay local just because that's where our relationships are i lean a lot on uh people like james danard who's been on this podcast before yeah, awesome. um, who helps us a lot and uh it just makes it I don't want to veer out too much where we're doing stuff that's we're pulling permits and everything. We do like carpet paint, yeah. appliances, put on the market, uh, in and out kind of stuff. And you're getting all that stuff off market? You get anything yep. on market? No, I've never done a deal off that in the last of my life. Really? Yeah. Wow. Not right. one. Yeah, out of the almost 200 transactions I've been a part of, not one of them has been an MLS deal. Wow, that's cool. It's yeah. because you got really, really good at doing off market. Yeah. And there's better deals off market if you're willing to put in the work needed to get there. Yeah, you, you can did. pretty much write yourself a check because whatever you can negotiate yeah. and put together, it's yeah, paying yourself. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. All right, David, I know you had a question. Yeah, before we do, I want to highlight your bridge analogy just for the people that are hearing this that are trying to figure out what we mean. Because I don't know if there's a better way of understanding what we're talking about when we're describing building a funnel or a business to run leads through. You have to look at every deal you close and sell like a car or a truck that was carrying goods it got from one location to another. And the more trucks you can get from one place to the other, the more money you can make. When we first start off, we're putting them on this bumpy dirt road. We've never done this before. We suck at it. We're getting halfway there and then we get a flat tire. The shocks break. You didn't put enough gas in. Every mistake you can imagine stops these and you barely get anything across just to be somewhat profitable. And then the more times you do it, the better you get at, at, at maybe driving or anticipating what route to take them on. At a certain point, you pave that road and cars, the deals can flow very much like with more simply. What Brandon is describing, what you're talking about is once you've got that bridge built that the cars and trucks can travel on, you start adding extra lanes, which are extra components to that business. The wholesale component, the flipping component, the retail sale component, maybe selling some of the services you put together to other people, a property management component. That's what it feels like when you're building a business is you are trying to create an infrastructure that you can move deals up and down. And at a certain point when they can go 65 miles an hour and just shoot right through, you've got this passive business that then you can stop or... Or you can take your bridge skilling uh, abilities that you learned and go build another bridge somewhere and do another thing, which yeah. is what most entrepreneurs do. So thank you for, you know, kind of highlighting that that's the same thing that you're doing at, again, 22 years old. What the <laughs> heck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All my spinoff businesses have come from not even on purpose. Just because yep. uh, we have this thing, we're using those other things to help that yep. other people need that too. 
That's exactly right. So you guys have a cold cold calling thing, right? The cold calling business? Yeah, so that's exactly how that happened. I I started that internally because we needed, we had eight sales guys, we needed a lot of leads. So, um, and then Buddy was like, hey, can I use that? And then it just kind of, it was a natural thing of this works for us. Other people need the same thing. Here you go. But it wasn't a purposeful, oh, I'm going to go out and start this really cool cold call center. Yeah, Yeah, you you built it out of need. And you're like, yeah, like I'm going to, now other people are going to use it. Great. Like you leaned into it. It's it's very lean startup way to, to yep. build a bit. Those are the best cool. time. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly right. Same yeah. thing I'm trying to do. You just got like a 16 year head start on me, dude. It's very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> All right. So, so my you last, I live longer than me though. So yeah. who knows? I don't know about that. man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I damaged my body quite a bit trying to figure out how to do all this stuff that you learned at, you know, going to Brandon's mastermind at 21 years old. Uh, my last question for you is there's clearly something special about you that's different than other people where you discuss this. It's, and it's, it's a smile. It's really nice. Yeah, I would agree with that. In your eyes, they're <laughs> very hypnotic. I find myself staring at you, forgetting what I was trying to say. Um, you're, you make it sound so simple to do what we're doing. In fact, you show, maybe I should re-say that, you reveal how simple it is when you get out of the obstacles that talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. To close, can you share a little bit about how you develop this mindset, what you do differently than other people so that others that want to follow this path can have a, an easier journey? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is most people operate like out of a model that's 99% information, 1% action. So they're gathering information all the time, but barely taking action on any of that information. So they're not, I don't feel like you accelerate as quick that way. For me, I'm always learning. I'd say I'm more like 70, 30, mm-hmm. 70% action, 30% information. So I'm always learning new things, but I'm taking really precise, deep action on everything I learn. So like an example of that was with cold calling. When I first started cold, the cold calling side of my business, uh, all I did was cold calling. I learned about cold calling, implemented what I knew about that, stuck with that for a long time, took extreme action on that. Instead of learning six different marketing channels and doing 10% on each one. So I think I've taken that and replicated across everything I've done. Um, and I think that's what's allowed me combined with the not really caring if I fail. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I haven't pinpointed where that's come from, to be honest with you. I think a, a sports helped a lot with that, but I don't know exactly where that never thinking about failing came from. Like just it not being a thing to me. A, a lot of it was probably how I was raised and high, it was never like, you got to meet this grade. You got to do this. I could have graduated high school and been like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to Africa to be a safari guide for the next 10 years. It would have been awesome. So I think a lot of it came from that, but I haven't nailed that down. But that combined with um, just going deep and showing up every single day with persistent um, and consistent action and uh, the pursuit of my potential is like really mm. what it comes down to. Like I want to find out what I can do, what that bar is. Again, if you can, if you can get the mindset of somebody successful and then just do what they're doing, like yep. you're, it's it's almost impossible not to achieve that level of success, especially given over the long the long haul. Yeah, you might encounter a like oh the market crashed or you know whatever. There's always a, a reason. Maybe somebody holds back temporarily, but long term, like five, 10, 15 years from now, like. I don't understand how anybody that listens to this podcast is not going to be a multimillionaire in the next like five or 10 years. Like everybody, if they just put into action the stuff, yep. uh, the mindset and the, and the tactics, like it's, it's there for the taking, yep. which is what, motion. yeah, it's so fun about real estate and entrepreneurship and all this It's like, it's just, it's just there. Like, um, like the, it's, it's not just what you were given. It's like, we can take whatever we want. You can have whatever you want, the kind of mm-hmm. life that you want to lead. Uh, if you just are willing to put in the work needed to do it. Uh, and like, the stuff that we've learned from you today is it doesn't even mean it's like a hundred hours of work. Uh, you know, maybe there's times in your life where you have to yep. really power through, yeah, yeah. right? But you like, you, you put people in charge of different things, you scale up and you, you bring people in, you become a good manager and you get the higher dollar per hour skills and do that. I think one of the biggest lies that stops a lot of people that in our culture is, you know, work a hundred hour weeks. I don't yeah. think it, you don't have to do that to be successful. There's yeah. ways to 
to put stuff together with other people that it doesn't have to look like that. So, yeah. 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 And that's where I think like things like performance coaching come in so handy where, you know, like what uh, Dan Sullivan, you know, like the strategic coach that we had on, like what he said, his like company, like slogan or their mission or their goal is like that you, I think it was double your, triple your revenue was it? And then half the amount of time you work or something like that. Like their goal for everybody that they bring into their company is like, we're going to make you work half as much and you're going to make two or three times more money, like minimum. That's like their baseline. That's a, they just work to again. And, and it might sound crazy to people listening, but like, I would almost say that's like, way under shooting like i feel like if i had a performance coaching business i'd be like our goal is have you work four hours a week mm-hmm. like we believe everybody can work four to ten hours if they want if you want to now you, not what else would we do with our time so we all work more than four hours but like i want every person to be like to get to that level where they can take a week off take a month off go travel to hawaii for three months because they want to go hang out uh go you know go to europe without a cell phone for a month you know i, I want people to get to that level so when they come back or spend time with their kids. It doesn't have to be travel. It could be spend time with kids. When they come back, they can like do what they love to do and invest in, and be holy in it. So anyway, dude, this has been amazing. We got to wrap this up in a few. But first, let's get to today's famous four. I didn't hear you participate in the famous. I'm just kidding. Question number one. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. So I'm sure you know it's yep. uh, coming. But number one, favorite or I like to say favorite. I need to like rephrase this question, but basically favorite real estate investing book or book that's made the biggest impact on your real estate. For me, it's it's, it's the book called Flip by Nick Ruiz. Mm, he's, okay. a, he's a fix and flip guy out of uh, um, Wisconsin. And that was the book I read when I was first getting into wholesaling. It's a really basic level uh uh, bird's eye view into real estate but it, it makes it, it made it click in my head like what i was doing my path where, where i could take it um so for me that was business wise that's been my i still reread that book so it's that's definitely cool. the biggest impact on me yeah okay favorite business related book uh it has to be traction i was given uh-huh. i was given that book uh, i was gonna ask what you use for your operating system yeah, yeah i was given that book i have not been that good about following all that stuff but i was given that book about two years ago and uh I'm decent at following a lot of it, like a lot of the um, the, the meeting stuff, the, the level ten stuff. We, we do a lot of that, but I don't I would I would highly recommend because we just did it open our capital is bringing a consultant. Like it's not super cheap. Like it's you know thousands of dollars to have a consultant, it, but yeah. it's so like because like I feel like we were operating at like eighty five percent traction, uh, ab- like tractionable. Like we were doing like eighty five percent of the work there, and it was fine. Like we were good, but that that now we're at like ninety eight percent. I feel like we're like. And it's that little bit dial. Like I probably cut five hours a week, 10 hours a week out of my own like like work just by bringing that consultant. Because all of a sudden, like it, it just like fine tuning all these little things. And when you're operating at a business that's at a pretty high level, it's it's so good. So anyway, I'd highly recommend that. Uh, bring in some consultant. So yeah, we need to take it up a notch there. with that stuff. Yeah. We're, get, we're probably at 50% right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Which is better than, yeah. I mean, than 99% of businesses out there don't know how to run anything. But it still opened my eyes to yeah. That, yeah. That, that direction. Yeah. Cool, yeah. man. All right. All right. When you're not crushing it at business, what are some of your hobbies? I'm skiing <laughs> or I'm playing basketball or I'm working out. I'm on the beach. I love to travel, so I'm uh, all over the place at that. But during the winter, I'm, you can find me on a mountain. Absolutely, I'm skiing. Uh, summer, I'm on a boat or I'm, uh, I'm playing I'm on basketball. a boat. Mother- okay. yeah. <laughs> um, I want to know. This is the four and a half, a three and a half question. If you and David Green here were competing against one another in a game of one-on-one basketball. Who wins? I'm going with me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, yeah, you think yeah. you can dominate? Yeah. David's pretty good. 
I would say you would probably beat me one on one. I'll just give you that. But if I think we, we put us on a team, we will destroy you. I had a basketball hoop in the backyard. I don't have any more. So me and David against you. Who wins that one? Uh, you still, still win. Probably <laughs> <laughs> all right. I don't know. I can't. I put a lot of work. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. You. You. You should claim that. Like I like. I like the confidence. It's great. Uh, all right. Last question for me. What separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? Yeah, I think it, it really comes down to staying in the game long enough for something to shake out. I think if you really want to be in real estate and make it work, and you're showing up every single day with, like we're talking about persistent, consistent action, it is, something is gonna happen. Something is gonna happen. Um, so I think the main thing that separates people, yeah, there's, there's mindsets behind that, there's tangible things you can do, but if you're in the game long enough, whether you're an agent or you're trying to flip or do development or you're doing buy and hold stuff, you, something is gonna happen if you're in the game long enough. So I think that is the biggest thing. All right, very cool. Yeah. All right, last question of the day. Where can people find out more about you? I'm most active on Instagram. It's at Cole Rude Johnson, R-U-U-D. Um, that's how you spell that, not Rudd. Not <laughs> so yeah, it's, I answer everything on there. I'm not great about Facebook or anything else. So that's that's where I spend most of my, my time. Awesome. Right, what's man. your uh, what's your side businesses? Give them a plug, like in the cold calling stuff and everything. Yeah, so we have a uh, Call Magic Leads, uh, and I'm partnering with a couple of good buddies on. Um, we are a full service call center for investors and agents. So we provide a uh, really good lead flow for that. And that was out of, um, I took it out of my internal business and we made it something awesome that other people can use. And then besides what's the website that, website for that? Uh, callmagicleads.com. Yeah, perfect. Yep, submit a form, it's super easy. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. Thanks. Appreciate it's it. Been, this has awesome. been, been amazing. It's fun. This is fun. Yeah. We, it's uh, been a long time coming. Ever since you were here in Maui last time, I was like, we gotta get this guy on the podcast. And I'm glad we did it in Maui. It makes it feel This right. was much better yeah. doing yeah. it in person, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. I like doing these in-person sea shed. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. Well, David, you want to get us out of here? Thanks, man. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks this for having me on. David Green for Brandon. It's Roof, not Russ Turner. <laughs> signing off. It's rude, not rud. <laughs> <laughs>